Welcome to the podcast of Celebration Christian Church located in Punta Cana, Dominican Republic. I am Pastor Jonathan Autry, and we will strive each week to bring you the fundamental principles of what the Bible says on how you can truly live and lead a Christian life. Everyone has their own opinion of how we should live, but the question is, what does the Bible say? It is only through His Word that we can truly find the answers. So open your mind, open your heart, and let God guide you through His Word. In the name of Jesus, let us praise the Lord. Amen. So today, I want to talk about how our faith is greater than our fear. Our faith should always be greater than our fear. And this is something that's very easy to say. It's very easy. It's a concept easy to understand. And there might be many of us this morning that would say, this isn't something I struggle with. But I guarantee you, your faith, your fear at one time or another has gotten in the way of what God's calling on your life has been. How do you respond to fear? That's something we need to think about this morning, how we respond to fear. And we think of fear in the context of, well, it's just something that I'm afraid to do. No, small fears can keep you from doing great things. Small fears can keep you from doing great things. It's the small fears that keep you from taking those great steps of faith in your life. As long as their enemy, as long as the enemy is able to put a small seed of doubt in your mind, he can accomplish keeping you from doing great things. Do you allow your fear to keep you from unlocking his promises. That's what we need to talk about this morning. So many times I hear this where people say, well, I don't serve God for this reason, or I don't serve God for that reason. I'm not interested in what God can give me. I'm not interested in what uh, the promises. I serve God just because I love him. That is a cop-out for people to not commit to their faith. That is a simple way of saying, well, I will subjectively give of what I have as far as my faith allows me to. Listen, I'm a pastor this morning, and I follow God, and I obey God for a number of reasons. One, I know that it is beneficial for my faith. Because as long as I put my faith in exercise, as long as I exercise and do what I need to do and exercise that faith, my faith will grow stronger. I, my faith is something that I follow because I love God. Of course I love Him. I follow and obey God because I know that the blessings on my life will be greater when I do follow Him in faith. Will it be easier? No. Will it be hard? Yes. Will I see blessings every time or all the time? No. It's going to be in his timing. But you know what I will find? I'll find that my life will always be constantly under his grace. And I think that as a Christian, that's one thing that we should always seek. To be in his grace. To be in his favor. Now, don't confuse God's grace as something that you earn. Okay? God's grace is... I heard a pastor say this. Grace is what we fall into into when we're not enough it's not a gift it's not something that you can earn but i would like to think also 
that as I do this faith walk, and as I follow God's uh, direction in my life, I would hope that I would be in a much greater, or I would abound much more in His grace because of it. So are you allowing fear to keep you from unlocking His promises? We're going to go to a very great piece of scripture this morning, Matthew chapter 14. And I love taking pieces of scripture that everyone already knows and hopefully finding something new in it that will speak to you, okay? And a lot of times this happens because I grew up in church. I've been in church since I was in my mom's belly. I've been hearing pastors and messages since I was in the stomach, okay? But sometimes I will get a hold of a piece of scripture that I've heard all the way since I was in, in Sunday school, and then God just opens my mind up to something I've never seen or never heard. And at those moments, I'm like, wow, if God spoke to me through this, maybe he'll speak to someone else. So I hope this is an encouragement to you. Matthew 14, I'm going to go ahead and read the passage, and then we'll go verse by verse. I've got seven things to share with you this morning, but I'm going to make it quick, okay? Don't get scared at seven, because I know most pastors keep it between three and five, but we're going to go to seven today. Hey, it's the number of perfection, amen? <laughs> Matthew 14, to 27 says, Then Jesus commanded his disciples to get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he sent the crowds away. When he sent the crowds away, he went up into the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Verse 24, But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, Tossed by the waves, for the wind was turbulent. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke up to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Again, we've all heard this part of scripture. And I hope that something's opened up to you new uh, that will, you can apply to your life this morning. Number one, you can't even begin your faith journey till you get in the boat. We got a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians that have come to a reckoning of Jesus Christ is the Savior of my life. And they're all good and fine in their Christian life, as long as they don't have to get in the boat. They want to be safe on the shore. And Jesus is saying, hey, got to get in the boat. Got to get in the boat. We got to get this ship moving. We got to go somewhere. I've got things that I want to show you. I got things I want to do with you. But you can't see any of those things. And you're not going to see any of God's glory until you get in the boat. See, the first thing that Jesus says is in verse 20. Uh, here in verse 22 says, then Jesus commanded his disciples to get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Now, a lot of these disciples were experienced fishermen. A lot of these guys knew what they were doing. But let's, let's kind of think of the context of this story. Does anyone know what happened right before Matthew 14, 22 to 27? Go ahead. We're going to turn this into Sunday school. Raise your hand if you know what happened. He fed the 5,000. So Jesus is there, and the disciples are there, and part of the reason they're wanting to get in the boat and go is they're getting away from the 5,000. Okay, we fed them. It's time to go. These people are not going home. If you read the scripture, they've been there for days. Okay? 
They, Kentucky Revival times 10, okay? So they're there. They just got fed, and they're like, this is amazing. This guy has been feeding us for all these days, spiritual food. Now he just took five loaves and two fish, and he fed thousands of people. We're just going to stay here. No reason to go home. The Messiah will take care of us. This, this Christ will take care of us. So Jesus tells his disciples, get in the boat and go home. This doesn't make, uh, go on the other side. But this doesn't make sense to the disciples. Why doesn't it make sense? Jesus is supposed to get in the boat with them. Master, we can't leave you alone. You need to come with us. You're not safe by yourself. There's a mob out there that's going to take advantage of you. They're going to wear you out. You know, there were times where Jesus talked to this multitude, and the multitudes were so big that the only way he could preach to them was getting in a boat and getting off the shore. So he would literally stand in the boat. The people wouldn't come into the water just to put distance between him and the multitude. So this isn't making sense, but Jesus is saying, hey, trust me, I'm good. I need some alone time. I'm going to get away from you guys. I'm going to get away from the crowd. But what I need you to do is to get in the boat and go. And beyond what they thought was correct or proper, they had to say, okay, if that's what you want, if that's your wishes, we'll get in the boat and we'll go. And there's a lot of Christians still on the shore. They're looking at the boat. They see everybody getting in the boat. They see some people rowing away in the boat. But they're not really willing to get in the boat yet. Christian, if you want to experience your faith in a new level, get in the boat. Don't stand on the shore watching. Don't wait for some miraculous. Obedience is key. Obedience is key. So get in the boat. Just like the disciples said, okay, Christ, we're going to get in the boat and we'll meet you or we'll find you or we'll see you on the other side. They didn't know what was going to happen. It didn't make sense. Jesus just said, get in the boat, go to the other side. So as far as they knew, some way, somehow, they're going to meet up with Jesus on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Number two, this is great. Just because he is not in the boat doesn't mean he's not there. See, because that's what a lot of Christians are waiting for. They want this miraculous reckoning with God where they say, okay, I'm going to get in the boat, but you got to get in with me. They want to see evidence. God, okay, you're calling me to do this. I feel the desire in my heart, and I know you're asking me or leading me to do something, but until I see the physical evidence of what my heart is telling me, I can't do it. So I'm going to wait for that physical evidence. Lord, I, I really want to help this family out. They're in need and everything, but I can't really help them out till you help me out. When I see that bonus that I'm supposed to be getting from work, I'll, I'll do something. When I see that bonus come in, you do, then I'll do. When I see what you're going to do, then I'll react to what you do. That's not faith. That's not faith. That's not faith. My dad used to always use this illustration. I've said this here at church a lot of times. He used to say that this is what faith looks like. And he called someone up and he'd say, see that chair? Have a seat. And that person would come and they'd sit down and my dad would say, my dad's a great pastor by the way, but he would say, hey, he just exemplified 
faith. And that he knew that that chair was going to be able to support his weight. That's not faith. That's not faith. Faith was when I weighed 300 pounds and I would sit in those little plastic chairs and pray to God it wouldn't break. That was faith. Faith is when I say, hey, Andy, I know you can't see it, Andy. I know you can't see it. And I know that this is highly doubtful. But I'm telling you, Andy, there's a chair right there. And I need you to come sit in that chair. I need you to do it right now. Andy's going to be like, pastor's on something weird. What's he talking about? There's no chair. Because Hebrews tells us that faith, come on, somebody, it's the substance of those things that you can't see. (laughs) Just because you don't see Jesus moving the way you want to, just because you can't physically see him in the boat, just because you're not waking up in the morning feeling this amazing feeling over you of like, wow, Jesus' presence is just right here beside me, doesn't mean he's not there. And the disciples get in the boat. Verse 23 says, When he sent the crowds away, he went up into the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Your faith will be tested not when you are surrounded by his presence, but in those moments when you feel alone. That's when your faith is tested. Hey, it's easy to be faithful right now. Man, we're a congregation of people at church right now. The faith is just oozing out of us. You know, if we say, hey, we need to do this right now. There's a bunch of you. They'll say, hey, if everybody else is jumping on board, I'll jump on board too. I'll get on the boat. Man, this place feels amazing. There's a bunch of Christians that want to do something for God. I want to do something too. I want to be a part of it. But faith isn't necessarily seen or tested when the strength is here, when the unity is here. You're going to find that your faith is tested when you're all by yourself. When you're alone, when the enemy has you cornered. Here, there's strength in numbers. The Bible even says it. There's wisdom and counsel of many. The enemy, he's not going to come in and attack us when we're strong, when we can support each other. He's going to go after you when you're alone. You know, Jesus never took his side off the boat. He knew where he had sent the disciples and knew what they were going to face. And the same thing with us. When God tells you to do something, when he leads you somewhere, he's looking, he's watching you from afar. He already knows where he's sending you. He already knows what he's asked you to do. So why do we fear? Why are we afraid? I think sometimes we wrestle with the notion of, is this really God's calling on my life? And I would tell you this, be very careful. Don't let fear get in the way, but be careful about those emotions. I remember many years ago, I was in a missions conference. That's what Janine and I did a lot before coming here to the Dominican Republic. We would go to these missions conferences, and it was like going into a a job interview with your whole family. Let that sink in. I got three small kids. So you walk into this church with your whole family, And my kids are normal kids. They're misbehaving and everything. Of course, the people in the nursery are saying, I can't believe these are missionary kids. These kids are so misbehaved and everything, you know. (laughs) But, you know, you walk in here and you're trying to convince people that God is calling you to do something. 
and you're trying to convince them that you are capable of doing what God's called you to do. That's the job interview. And you're there anywhere from three days to a week. Preaching, talking to the people, mingling, whatever it is. Sometimes only to get maybe $25 or $50 a month help. So you got to do this quite a bit to be able to move. And a lot of people think, oh, that sounds easy. I could do that. Go for it. Try it. It's very discouraging. I would make, on average, 20 calls before a church would even say, hey, yeah, go ahead and come. Then of the five that would let me come, maybe only one would support me. We would travel hundreds of miles, sometimes not even getting our gas money recompensated. There was one time where we drove from her house in Philadelphia all the way to Boston on a Wednesday. And I drove, it's about a six and a half, seven hour drive. I drove, we left that morning at around 11, 10 or 11 o'clock that morning. Drove all the way out there. I preached, we showed our video, and we got in the car and drove all the way home. We couldn't afford a hotel or anything. Got home around, I don't remember, four o'clock that morning. Go to sleep, get up the next morning around nine or 10 o'clock in the morning and get on the phone. Any of you salespeople, cold calls. So anyways, that's what we went through. That's what we did. But you know what? A lot of times we would be working and I would be doing these things and I would feel very alone and very discouraged because these pastors and these people I talked to, most of them had no interest in what we wanted to do or what we felt God was calling us to do. Number three, God will ask you to do things that will test your faith. But the boat, verse 24, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was turbulent. See, I've read this text quite a few times, and for some reason, it wasn't till Wednesday of this week that when I read it, I said, huh, of all the places they could have been on the sea, the Bible says, the book, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea. In the middle of the sea. They were in the middle, the farthest point they could possibly be from all safety. That's deep, guys. That is deep. That God would allow them to get to the middle, the farthest point possible from all safety and sometimes we think that we are in just this turbulent terrible place in our life and we can't conceive why God would take us so deep into something so dangerous and the Bible's so clear here in the verse where it says hey the boat was in the middle of the sea the farthest possible point. God will take you where you can't see anything else but him. In your brokenness, in your sorrow, in your loss. And although it may seem too extreme for you, it's just where God has determined you need to be. This is where he determined the disciples needed to be. And it does not seem practical at all. If I, were, if I was in the boat, God wouldn't have to take me to the middle of the sea. He could take me out literally 
probably 100 yards, yards from the shore and start making that boat move. And he'd have me crying like a baby. Because I hate boats. A couple weeks ago, you guys got on a boat. Remember? Some of you went. Who all you went? Got on that boat one Sunday after church. Yeah, a bunch of you went. I didn't go. And the excuse was, guys, I still have to preach tonight at IBC. No, that wasn't it. I don't like boats. I don't like water. I don't like to sit in the window seat of an airplane just because my kids start saying, Daddy, open the window. I don't want to open the window. I don't want to see the water. I don't want to know that I'm over water. And I'm a pretty good swimmer. But I don't want to swim that far. So the, these disciples, they're in the middle of the sea. As far as they can get away from any safety. Hey, you know what our quick fix is? Our quick fix? Get this, guys. Listen to this. Our quick fix fix to things is God make it easier instead of God make me stronger let me repeat that our quick fix to things is God make it easier instead of God make me stronger again that's some pretty deep stuff right there that's pretty deep, that thought, because when we get through those hard times, it's all about, hey, God, this is too much for me. Help me out. God, I need some, I need some relief. God, I need you to do something. Instead of, God, would you augment my faith? Would you make my faith grow? Would you make me stronger? Will you help me through this situation? Will you help me persevere? See, uh, I work out with some of these guys in our church. We go to the gym, and... Sometimes the weight's too much for them. And in the beginning, their mind is, we got to take some of the weight off. I know. We don't need to take the weight off. You need to get used to this weight. Because soon you need to lift this weight and more. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to keep the weight on, but I'm going to help you through it. I'll put my hand under it. And nine times out of ten, my hand being under it, they think I'm helping them. They think I'm helping them, but it's all psychological. It's all in their mind. My hand is just symbolically there. I mean, do you really think that when Alex is pushing up 225 pounds, that with me, with two fingers, I can lift that? I can't lift that. I'm just putting it there, and he thinks I'm helping him, and I might flex my bicep a little, so he says, oh, pastor's helping me. I'm not doing anything. I, I'll t sometimes I'll tell them, I'll say, hey, I will let this drop on you before I'm going to help you. <laughs> but our quick fix is, God, make it easier instead of God, make me stronger. Number four, his timing is perfect. His timing is perfect. Verse 25, get this. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Okay, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus, I keep saying Jesus. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Does anyone know what the fourth watch of the night is? Come on. Anywhere between three and six o'clock. That's that last watch when day breaks. From 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. 
in the very last watch of the night, from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., it says Jesus shows up walking on the sea. Will you please let that sink in a while? It's dark, but let's think about everything before 3 a.m. What have they been wrestling with all night? The storm. They are tired. They, they just don't know what's going to happen. It has been all night. It's now coming to the early morning hours. And then Jesus decides to show up walking on the water. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out in fear. I would have been right there. I'd be like, I'm going to take my chances with the water. I'd jump out of that boat in a heartbeat. I'd just start swimming. I don't know what direction. And just get me away. I don't have to swim the fastest. I just have to swim faster than the slowest. <laughs> Took a while. So here we are, 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning, after wrestling with the sea all night, Jesus shows up walking on the water in the middle of the sea. Because when I was a kid, second, third grade, I remember seeing the pictures of this on the, what is it called, the phenograph or what do you call those things? Flannel board. You remember those things? Any of you go to Sunday school when you were little? You remember those flannel? It's like a piece of cloth. And the teacher would take these little pieces of material and it would just like magically stick up there like it was magnetic, but it wasn't. And they'd have these little pictures. And the picture I always saw was like Jesus walking on the water, right? And then you have Peter reaching out his hand in the boat, right? But in the picture, guess what you could see almost immediately behind Jesus? The shore. There wasn't no shore behind Jesus. The Bible says they were in the middle of the sea. No wonder they cried out in fear. I think every single one of us would have cried out in fear. When you think about the context of the story, and you really think about everything they've been through, and now they're in the middle of the sea, and all of a sudden they see this figure walking on the water in the middle of the ocean. Jesus showed up at the worst time possible, and he showed up in the worst way possible. Have you thought about that? I mean, we, why couldn't he have showed up at daybreak when there's some light out? Why couldn't he have showed up the evening before, before it gets dark, maybe it would have been a little bit more palatable, a little bit easier. Why couldn't he show up when there wasn't a storm, maybe? No, he shows up at the worst time possible when they're tired, when they've been fighting with the sea all night, and he shows up walking on the water. Anything short from falling out of the sky, that was probably the scariest thing that they could have encountered. But why did he do this? To him, this was all meant to show his power and dominion over fear and over the elements. The disciples would walk away from this whole experience later realizing Jesus, Jesus orchestrated the whole thing. Maybe they didn't get it in the moment. But could you imagine Matthew, Mark? Could you imagine one of them years later, 20, 30 years down the road? Because that's literally how much time went by till they wrote the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
Could you imagine 20 years later, now you see the full spectrum of who Jesus is, and you think back on that night when you were in the boat, do you think they were afraid when they were writing it? They probably had a grin on their face while they're writing it. They're probably thinking to themselves, man, I remember how bad he scared us that night, but it was all on purpose. He had his reason for it all. They could look back to that hard, scary, fearful experience and now fully appreciate everything that Jesus did that night and understand why he did it. Because remember, even after Jesus Christ had died, the disciples still had doubt. Remember, mission over method, we talked about that. How they still had these little twinklings of moments where they believed. The Bible says, and then they believed, and then they believed, and then they believed. You, you lived with him for three years. You saw him do the miracles. And then he's dead, and now the Bible's still having to say, then they believed. You're still struggling with your doubt. You're still struggling with your fears. That's what the disciples were going through. Verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. What troubles in life have you gone through that you can now look back on and see God's hand in? All of us can share those moments. All of us can see moments of despair, moments of trouble that we can now look back on and say, wow. I know why Jesus did that. Wow. I see how God helped me through that. Wow, that partner that I almost partnered with and I thought it was going to be the game changer for my life and God kept me from doing business with him and look how things ended up for him. Thank you, God, for saving me. In the moment, I thought you were keeping me from riches, from glory, from blessing, but now I could see that you were keeping me safe. How many times have we gone through those moments? See, Jesus in the text simply tells, tells the disciples, do not be afraid. He simply says, do not be afraid. Parents, have you ever said that to your kids? There's nothing to be afraid of. There's no reason for you to be afraid. We've all said it, right? I remember when I was like seven years old, my dad was trying to make a man out of me. And we lived in Tennessee and we would have every season those little black crickets. You know what I'm talking about? They're the ones that you used to go fishing with. Well, we'd get them in our house, and I was afraid of them for some reason because the suckers jumped, you know? I didn't want one of those things jumping on me. So my dad thought it was a good idea, and Janine, this explains a lot. This is why you have to kill the cockroaches and stuff at home. At the age of seven, my dad thought it was a great idea to make me pick that cricket up and throw it in the trash. We spent an hour. In the corner, this poor little defenseless cricket looking up with me with those big old eyes and me hunched over it, crying, Daddy, I don't want to touch it. Daddy, don't make me. And my dad's, be a man. You can do this. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to bite you. For an hour. By the way, I won. I didn't have to pick up the cricket. He got a tissue, and he picked it up. I was like, why didn't you pick it up with your hands? Why did you get to use a napkin? (laughs) 
Jesus says to his disciples, do not be afraid. And I'm just thinking, I'm one of those disciples in there. And at the beginning, I'm glad to know it's not a ghost. I'm glad to know it's Jesus. But at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, what do you mean don't be afraid? You are walking on water at 3 o'clock in the morning in a storm. And you're telling me not to be afraid? This doesn't make sense. Jesus puts it so simply. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. Do not be afraid. He's not only telling them don't be afraid. He's telling them, hey, put a smile on your face. Everything's good. Be happy. Be happy. There's nothing going on here. Everything is fine. And I'm hoping that it took a while for this to sink in. If not, Peter's my hero. Because it says in verse 28, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, bid me to come to you on the water. And I would have been Timothy at that moment saying, Peter, you do you. I'll watch. Don't ask for my help if you start to sink. Don't ask for my help if that turns out to be a ghost. But you do you. Because honestly, transparently, I don't know that I have the faith that Peter had. We criticize Peter because when we think about Peter, one of the first things that comes up in our mind is how he denied Christ three times. But man, did he exemplify some faith at three o'clock in the morning on the raging sea when Jesus came walking on the water. And he says, bid me to come to you. He said, come. And then Peter got out of the boat. He, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. See, we need to stop waiting on God. Let me explain that because that doesn't really make sense because we're supposed to wait on God, right? But what I mean by this is so many times we're waiting for God to do something miraculous for us to respond to. Now, Jesus just said, come. That's all he had to say. Come. Then the Bible says that Peter got out of the boat. See, Jesus calls us to do stuff all the time. He calls us. And he says a whole lot more than just come. But we're not ready to get out of the boat. We got fear. We got, Jesus, I can't, I can't do what you're asking me. I've got kids. I just bought a house. I, I, this is not practical. This can't be from you. And you wrestle with what God's telling you that you need to do. And you know it's so clear. You know it's from him. But your fear gets in the way of doing something great. You know, of all the 12 disciples, of all the 12 disciples, we can say, that night, Peter was the brave one. We can say that that night, Peter exemplified faith. We could say that that night, if we had to pick a couple disciples to go do something dangerous with, Peter would have been one. He would have been my first pick. The other day I was running across a parking lot with my family. And I got JJ, who's chasing butterflies. I got Adeline and Maya, and they're just arguing over each one. And then... I've got my wife. I love you, Janine, so much. But Janine, if you ever saw her run, she doesn't run. She prances. There's a difference. She just prances. She's just so very graceful in the way she runs. But there's no speed and agility to it. You know what I mean? And I'm running to the car. And I'm saying, guys, we're going to be late. Let's go. And I'm looking behind my team. And I'm saying, if we're ever in a zombie apocalypse, 
This is my team. This is what I'm stuck with. I'm not going to make it too far. And here you see this amazing moment go by. And of all the disciples, if I had to pick a teammate, it would have been Peter. Because he put his, he put his faith on the line. He put into action what I wouldn't even thought of asking to do. That thought would have never even crossed my mind. Me, walk on the water, go to this ghost in the middle of the ocean at 3 o'clock in the morning? No, thank you. And Peter's just like, hey, if it's really you, call me out. I'll come. All right, come on, Peter. Hey, hold this. I'm getting out of the boat. And I'm just thinking to myself, what are you doing? But that's what faith looks like sometimes. That's what faith looks like sometimes. You can't explain it. You don't know why you're doing it. You, you don't know what's going to happen. And that's why it's called faith. Because faith is the substance of those things you can't see. And that's what Peter's doing right now. Number six, we're going to finish up. When your faith is used, it will be tested. Ah, this is another great point. Don't think that just because you chose to exercise your faith, that that was the hard part. Okay, I already did the hard part. Now everything's going to be easy. No. When you start exercising your faith, the enemy will start kicking. He's going to try to kick you off that chair. Verse 29 said, he said, come. Then Peter got out of the boat. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. His fear got in the way of his faith. Again, faith always needs to be greater than your fears. And in this story, you could just see it over and over and over again. How fear was the battle the disciples had to wrestle with to exercise their faith. But I love Peter's simple words. Again, I like to be practical and transparent. If I was Peter right now, I wouldn't have said, Lord, save me. But he says, Lord, save me. I love this, the song that we sang this morning. What a beautiful name it is. I don't think, when, when I feel anxiety and when I feel stress and I feel tired and discouraged, in all honesty, just saying the name of Jesus for some reason, I can't explain it. It helps bring peace to my heart. It helps bring peace. And the fact that Peter in simple words, just said, Lord, save me. In the midst of your struggle, his simple name is enough. Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him up and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Come on, Jesus. I was the most faithful one. I was the one that got out of the boat. Everybody else is in there still crying over the, over the seas. They're still afraid because they don't know who you are. I'm out here on the water. Give me some credit. Oh, ye of little faith. Because your faith has to be greater than your fear. And I think that that was the teaching that Jesus was trying to hammer in that moment. Was you can't let fear get in the way of your faith. And this whole story is summarized in that one thought. Your fear can't 
get in the way of your faith. Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? I want to close with these three, three thoughts so that you could take them home, okay? And then we're done. Jesus will be there when you need him the most. He will catch you up and bring you close to him. And your lack of faith could be what's keeping you from seeing all he has for you. Those are just the three simple ideas. Man, I know I showed it a lot. I shared a lot of points this morning. They were all good points. But, you know, take this home today. Jesus will be there when you need him the most. He will catch you up and bring him close to you. And your lack of faith could be what's keeping you from seeing all he has for you. Just meditate on that this week. And when you read this story in Matthew, and you read what the disciples were going through, really think of the context of everything that was happening around them and how Jesus orchestrated this whole thing. And like I said, I just love that last thought. Years later, some of those disciples were penning out their whole experience with Jesus Christ. And at that moment, when they're writing down this story of what happened, I just can't help but think that they looked back down that night and just laughed, thinking, Phew, we lacked so much faith. We, we didn't even realize that he was controlling the storm the whole time. We didn't even realize everything that we were going to see afterwards. How foolish could we have been? But wow, what an amazing story. Jesus isn't finished with you. He has an amazing story for you too. And even at the deepest, darkest moments of your life, get ready, that could be your story. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Jesus, we thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for those that are here today. Lord, uh, I pray that you just help us and encourage us today to find those that are in need of your gospel, those that are in need of hearing your word. Lord, I hope that this message this morning was an encouragement to somebody. Lord, I pray more than anything, if there's somebody here this morning that has never stepped out on faith and said, Jesus, I need you. Lord, save me. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to invite Jesus into their boat, into their life that they would have the courage to say, Jesus, I understand that I'm not perfect and I know that I am in need of a Savior. And just like Peter needed your help, I need your help in my life this moment. I need you to come into my life and save me. I want to become one of your children. I want to turn my life around. I want you to help me to become a new creature. Lord, if there was anyone here that doesn't know you, I would just pray that you would give them the courage to come to you this morning. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus is your Savior and you would like to make that decision, I would ask you to please, please come to me. Talk to me. I want to help you. Jesus, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for those that were able to come and be here. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.